I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, welcome to Blaster Cannon episode 13. We are Den of Geeks show about all things Star Wars. Um, We're going to we focus on the expanded universe. I'm Megan Krause. I'm here with my co-host Paul Harmon. Hi. (laughs) And Seth. Hello. Today our main topic is going to be Phasma, the new novel by Delilah S. Dawson. Um, we're going to talk about it toward the end of the episode. There will be spoilers. Um, I was really excited about this book because I really like Phasma. So Same. hopefully we'll have some cool discussion. Um, but first of all, we're going to go over some of the big news in Star Wars this week. Um, the biggest thing, well, this week, this month, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um forgot how often we record, but we're good. Yes. So biggest thing... Um, recently was definitely the announcement that J.J. Abrams will be returning to Star Wars with Episode Nine. that he'll be directing Episode Nine. Um, obviously, he worked on The Force Awakens, so this is a big deal, having a returning director, having someone who was rather divisive in the fandom because of The Force Awakens, but who also really revitalized the Star Wars fandom and like Star Wars presence in popular culture. I don't think there's any question that The Force Awakens brought Star Wars back in a way that it hadn't been for a long time. So how do you guys feel about this? Go ahead, Seth. Um, I feel pretty chill about this. I really like The Force Awakens. Uh, so I'm like, oh, I didn't mean to kick that. Um, so I'm kind <laughs> of like in a place where <laughs> I, I'm chill with it. I think it'll be a good movie. I am just a little bit worried because I think I've said before on this podcast that I have issues with the way that J.J. Abrams ends things, like his way of giving closure doesn't mesh with my way of wanting closure when I get stories. So I'm a little bit worried that the ending's not going to mesh well with me. But I'm not super worried because I know that there's like a huge creative team working behind the scenes on the film as well, not just J.J. Uh, so I I have hope. I'm positive. I'm actually happier about this than I was with Trevorrow. So this is good news, I think. Yeah. That's kind of my feeling, too, where I think the story group is going to do a lot to help curb um, any of his sort of instincts that might prevent the ending (laughs) from being wrapped up. I think Star Wars has this legacy of there's always more. Right. But the story is wrapped up in its own way. So I think the story group will have a heck of a time putting all the puzzle pieces together. But I think they'll do fine. And I'm yeah, I was proud of proud of i guess that's You're a bit of, of a JJ? wow slip there yeah wow I, it's a bit of a slip there but i'm also not it's also not wrong i'm proud of what star wars has done in terms of bringing a female lead into the saga i like how the force awakens treated ray we have a black man and we have a latino man as main characters and those pushes for diversity are something that jj abrams obviously had a big impact on so i'm glad that those things happen and those things make me happy that um, he's coming back. In terms of story, I'm definitely sort of 
neutral about this. We know so little about episode nine and there was always going to be collaboration between the director and the story group. It was always going to be a work in progress until the movie's out in the theater. It's so hard to know what's actually going to happen. But in this case, Abrams probably had his own ideas for what the next movies would be about. I imagine that just like any fan, just like any storyteller, you have an idea of a vague structure in mind. And now we're going to see that structure. And I do think there's a benefit to having the same person start and finish it. It it might give it some um, sort of thematic uh, tie-in, which I'm stumbling on my words here a little bit, but it might be able to complete the story that he started in The Force Awakens in a better way than someone who didn't have the same exact vision for the beginning uh, would have done. Does that make sense? No, totally. I think one thing that I find kind of funny is like the idea that Abrams didn't know what was going to happen after The Force Awakens and was like, it's fine, the next directors can figure that out. And now he's just gone back to it again. He's like, oh no, (laughs) what is actually happening now? Um, (laughs) One thing I forgot to mention is that one thing about Abrams that I do like is that he seems to work really well with actors and get along well with the people working in the films. So he'll at least bring that energy to it, which is good. Like, better to have someone who can work well with actors and make them bring their best performances than otherwise, really. it's funny you said you you don't think he thought about what the next movies would be like. I think I think he, he did to a to point, but he was yeah, but he was yeah. probably like I'm not going to actually think about it too much because it's not mine now. But yeah. and he was like, there's some things he set up that he's like, I don't know where this is going to go, but it's fine. It's not my problem now. But now it is. Yeah. And suddenly he's like, <laughs> oh, I do know where it's going to go, but I have to actually do that in the real world now. Yep. <laughs> well, JJ is a hot topic for me, and. My, well, to be fair, JJ, I thought, like Megan said it best, he really did, uh, you know, bring, he brought Star Wars back to a point where mainstream audiences are really excited for it. And and, and now I want to make it very clear also when my my dog is drinking water from behind me. um, Sorry, I can hear it's distracting. I think that The Force Awakens is like this. I think the first half of the movie is great. I love the first half of that film. The second half just has a lot of pacing and direction director issues that I just don't really like where the story goes, where the, some of the shots that he chose, like, uh, I thought, uh, Carrie Fisher's performance, that's, that wasn't bad in the force awakens. It just was kind of shot weird in certain places. Like when her and Han are having the conversation about Ben, it's just really weird and sudden and, weird close-ups it's like well, why'd you shoot it like this and why you know some of the some of the dialogue they gave carrie i felt was kind of bad too or she's like no it was snoke it's like uh, I, uh, you bring that one up every time it's because it's for it's bad that's why it's bad <laughs> And, like, there's a scene in The Force Awakens when they give us – I forgot what exactly happens, but they, like – they tell them the shield's down. And one person tells another person – and it, it goes, like, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, like, a train. I think 3PO tells, like, uh, <laughs> Lieutenant. Lieutenant goes to Leia Organa, and then Leia Organa tells him to, to do something. It's, like, really ridiculous. I'm like, what? 
why did uh whatever there's just really random mm-hmm. things and like all the planets are literally from the original trilogy like there's no originality whatsoever i mean and i'm not sure how much of that, of that is jj probably a lot i don't know um you know so uh, besides kylo ren in the whole movie i think the second half just really kind of just falters for me and it, and again like the whole star killer base i think was a huge mistake in my opinion, um, they could have done something a little bit different. They went with something with, with a trope with star Wars trope, if you will, with a super weapon. And again, again, for the mainstream audience, it worked, but for like most, like for me, it just, it wasn't terrible. It just wasn't amazing. It was, it was, it was solid. I love the first half, I think. And I think the one thing that he did was introduce amazing new characters with Ray Finn and Kylo Ren. Notice I left out Poe. Um, so like, all those characters are amazing and I love them. And I think they're the crux of the trilogy in my opinion. Um, so I think he's done an amazing job developing and introducing these characters and, and bringing them into the fabric of uh, the mainstream audience's mind. And I think it's great. And I think that it, he did his job well, and I'm willing to give him a second chance because I think he, you know, and I talked to the saga continue guys a lot about this, but you know, he probably wants, there's probably a, a side of him that one, he knows one, he'll make a ton of money, right. From making this. I mean, let's be honest. All, all this is all a job. <laughs> He's going to make a lot, a lot of money for his family in, in their futures by doing this movie. That's one thing Two, I think he really did love doing star Wars. He had a great, he had a great time doing it. And I think three, I think I, I hope and like to think, and I really do think this is somewhat accurate is I think he wants another shot to show that he can do something different in star Wars and he can stick the landing. I, I really think that that probably has something a little bit of pride of saying, you know, people, you know, here's their complaints. And maybe he thought that maybe he thinks they're valid. And he's like, you know what? I bet I can do this and stick the landing and deliver the trilogy that I had a blast in, in making and introducing and also a firsthand of creating this whole trilogy. He's an executive producer on the whole trilogy. So he was, in, he had his hand in this regardless of where it's going. And I, you know, and obviously it's, it's changed a lot since, you know, George started the whole thing. So I don't know for me, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't thrilled about it. I was, I'm a little, I was a little disappointed about it. I will say I'm not – I'm still kind of disappointed, but at the same time, I'm kind of looking forward to it now to see can this guy take the criticisms that he got in um, start, you know, in The Force Awakens and then correct it. So Yeah. But, but I he, do hope that he takes to heart the criticisms that he did receive because I – you know, I started out with high praise for The Force Awakens because it really brought Star Wars kind of back to a place where – there's a ton of podcasts about it now. The fandom is really active, that sort of thing. But I definitely had some problems with The Force Awakens, too. That, that latter half was not always thrilling. Um, I think Ray's character could be a bit more developed. Um, so I hope that he kind of takes those criticisms, and this is a chance for him to do a similar thing as he did before, but better. Yeah, and I, think- I feel like this is a really good chance for him to, like become an amazing director like people do love him and he makes some good movies but if he if he does this well and makes it quite different and fully sticks the landing on this one he could be known as a really really good director after that because he's kind of known for just like one thing yeah exactly. <laughs> and this could change that mm-hmm. yeah and it would and be really cool if this him... 
Yeah. After Lucas, he would be the person who had the most his hand in Star Wars the most in terms of direction. So yeah, I, and, and really and really quickly to add to, not, it's not just him, you know, coming back. There's a little bit of minor controversy with the writer that he's bringing with him, with the guy who wrote Argo, a Oscar-winning screenplay. Also, the guy who wrote BVS, Batman vs. Superman, which a lot of people have massive issues with. And so, <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, I, I admit that doesn't inspire confidence. Now, 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 for the record, I actually like BVS. I actually am not a huge fan of Argo. I think Argo is good. So yeah. I thought it was overrated I, I thought Argo myself. was really boring. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's, I thought it was overrated myself. But I don't think it was bad. It just wasn't my – it was just was whatever. It was fine. But BVS, I understand the criticisms. Um, I, I don't think all of it was on him because he was just, he did a touch of the, a touch up of the script. Um, you know, David S. Goyer also wrote that movie as well and wrote the plot of that. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, um, that being said, um, the ultimate edition, I think is a lot better fleshed out. That's just my opinion, but, um, no, uh, <laughs> but the writer, the, the, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Tenterio or something. I don't know. I'm terrible with names. Everyone knows this. My point is this, is that. It's a little interesting that they that they brought this guy on to write with JJ, and you know I'm I, I'm actually glad to be quite honest because I feel I think that Larry Kasdan kind of brought I think he was a little too safe, you know I think that some of it was on him too a little bit I don't know I oh yeah yeah I think so yeah so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what this guy can do he's got some good he's got some bad. I'm curious what he can bring. I think JJ obviously is going to write a lot of this too. I mean, it's going to be co-written by both of them. I mean, and, and we'll see, but I, I'm, I'm temp, I'm optimistic, but it's, I'm just, you know, just apprehensive at the same, I'm apprehensively optimistic. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. I'm in that boat as well. Yeah. I'm Which more is optimistic than I was before. <laughs> that's like the same boat I was in before the force awakens. So mm. it's the perpetual fan boat. Um, so the other big thing that we are going to talk about briefly was uh, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, was released um, the same day as Phasma as part of the Journey to the Last Jedi series. I've not actually read it yet, um, but I wanted to make sure to note that it is out if you want to read it. It's by Claudia Gray. Um, have, have either of you read it? No, but it's my next Star Wars book to read. Oh. Yeah. Princess of Alderaan? Ooh. If you're not a fan, did you not like it? Well, I'm I'm still listening to it, and it's <laughs> it's been a struggle for me. I'm not gonna lie; I've been very vocal about it. I'm trying. It's not been bad. It's not been bad, and but it's not been my favorite of the Claudia Gray books. I, I love Lost Stars. Um, I was surprisingly I, I didn't. I went into Lost Stars thinking I'm probably gonna not like this because YA novel. I'm just not. That's not my my thing, you know, necessarily. It's just not my thing. It's just like, it's just it's generated and not my audience. This is fine. This is fine. I go in knowing this, but I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I thought it's one of the best new canon novels. And then I liked Bloodline, um, minus a few of the supporting characters I wasn't really a huge fan of. But I loved the Leia, um, Chris, um, whatever his name, Kasterfo, whatever his name is. I can't say, again, I'm terrible. <laughs> yep, um, Kasterfo. Yeah, Kasterfo. <laughs> I, I said it right? Oh, my goodness. Um, but, uh, uh, I think we had a whole discussion about this on this podcast or another one about yeah, how do you yeah, pronounce it? Yeah, thing. who knows? I forgot how to say it already. Yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> but no, but the, this this book is is not it's not terribly written. I don't want to say that because I like Claudia Gray. I think she's a, a, a talented writer, 
it's just the story elements are just not really grabbing me. There's been a couple cool parts so far, but I just haven't, yeah, it hasn't grabbed me yet. So I'm still, I'm not going to, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to finish it. It's just, it's been a chore. I'm not going to lie. It's been a little harder for me, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep with it. I'm a little worried about it because I also, Claudia Gray was some, an author who can definitely do stories that I wouldn't necessarily think that I would like, but I really liked a lot stars and I really liked bloodline. So I trust that she can do the same thing with Leia, but from what I've heard, it's just not really my style. So I'm not ready yet. Yeah. That's kind of where I am as well. I'll get there. I will, but not yet. I may be literally buying the digital edition right now because I meant to. And never did. <laughs> It's sitting on my Kindle. I'll get to it, I swear. All right. So why don't we go on to talk about comics? Um, I'm following two series at the moment. I'm following Mace Windu and Phasma, but the number two of both of those came out yesterday, and I've not had time to read them yet. So, um, Paul, I know we definitely want to talk about Mace Windu. Have you read the second issue? I have not, unfortunately. I'm, I'm extremely busy the last couple of days, but... um. I, I don't know, like you, I think we both read the first issue, right? Yes. Okay. Um, I think we both kind of share the same kind of problem with it. Where yeah, I that think... it's the same as the Jedi Council series with worse art. Oh, man. It's, <laughs> oof, oof. Oh, now, dear. I, now, here, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Comic book art is is is, is, is not easy, okay? And, and no art is easy, right? But I think when you're making commercial comic books – on a on a major corporation, you've got to work fast and you do not want to be late. If you want to make it in the industry, you got to be on time and you have to make sacrifices. So I don't want to make it sound like the person who I, I don't know the person's name off the top of my head. I don't want to make it sound like they're not they're not talented or anything like that because there were there were some decent panels here and there. It just there is it. I don't know. It just it was wasn't. Up to par mm. that, that I'm used to for for comic book stuff and and, and Marvel specifically. Um, even though I think Mar- that's a very considerate way to put it, and <laughs> I I agree, I, I, it, it definitely yeah. seems sort of rushed. Yeah, I mean, there's just it just things don't seem, and so maybe that's the style. I don't know, um, but the plot wasn't like you said it best in our notes here, Megan. Like plot, good art, not so much. You know, it's like <laughs> it's. It's because it, the plot is not terrible. It's actually kind of cool. It's it's interesting, you know. I mean, it's not an original idea, but it's, it wasn't a bad what idea is the either. Plot? Um, basically, I mean, again, I have, I have only read an issue once, but I, it's basically Mace Windu takes a group of Jedi's to um, defend, like against the Separatist army, and they're kind of a, a, a random cast of characters. One now being a blind, like you know, a blind Jedi, which is. You know, we got Kanan, cool. but it brought me back to. Um, are you guys familiar with the? I forgot, oh my gosh, I should have. I should have actually prepared for this, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> Tales of the Jedi. There's those a race of of humans that are blind, but they only see in the yeah. Force. And it reminds the Miriallans. Yes. Yes. Yep. yes, yeah, them. Yes, that that's there what it was, reminded me of. Yeah, there was some discussion on Twitter about is this guy a Miri Allen or are they still canon or is he? a blind human and the connotations would be different for each one. And I'm not sure whether an answer was found to that. Do they have, I thought they didn't even have eyes in the first place. I don't think they do. Yeah, I don't and think right. yeah. I was like 
looking to see if he had eyes, but he has a mask over his face, and oh. the art is very vague, so it's hard to tell. Okay, yep. <laughs> no, but uh, there was so there, there is cool ideas there that the, the, the group that that Mace has. It's like you know, it's a very, it's a, it's a definitely like a unique, you know, uh, unique group. So um, I'm mostly following the series because Kit Fisto is in it. Oh my god, I should actually read the series. Yeah, it's, it, like and said, it's like not is it it reminds me more of his like old characterization kits than is more so than his Clone Wars characterization, which I like. But there hasn't been enough of him for me to really make like a solid statement about that. Hmm. It reminded me very much of the Jedi Council comics from the uh, the old expanded universe, as did like the Darth Maul story. Almost felt like it could have been an old EU story to me as well. Right on. Is there a new Darth Maul comic? Yes, yeah. So um, we can go into that real quick. That's It's complete. It's been four issues. Um, it was Maul had to join forces with a Jedi, essentially, to escape a bunch of bounty hunters on a planet. And uh, <laughs> it was sort of about his, not youth, you know, he's, it, it's. It touched on it a little bit. Is it, uh, I would say it's no more than a couple years before the Phantom Menace. Like, he looks like he's the same age. No, yeah, no, but right. it, it, t- well, it touches on, like, youth a little bit in the, in the yes. story. Yes, and his, yeah. his motivation, and I really liked his characterization. It shows how, you know, how psychologically manipulated he's been. It shows how, like, twitchy he is. Um, and it, it didn't, the, the comic didn't do anything, like, egregiously poorly. Um, it reminded me a lot of, of Darth Maul Shadowhunter, which is one of my favorite, like, Star Wars oh, I books from that book when I was young. So much. Yeah, I read it definitely, like, before I was going into Star Wars books with a critical eye at all. I was just like, it's got Darth Maul in it, so it's great. But I also think there are some, like, legitimately good things that that book does that I still think are cool things. Wait, Shadowhunter is the one with, um, what are their names? Like, Dasha and whatever? Yeah, Dasha and Lauren Cavan. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that book so much. Yeah, (laughs) and I love the ending of that book so much. Yes, okay. That is a good book. Yes. Um, so the the comic covered similar ground, I thought. Yeah. The comic book I thought was really solid. Um, uh, Colin, is it Colin Bunn? I think is, is who wrote it. Um, the art, oh my gosh, the art was solid. I thought the art was really, was, was actually pretty, pretty decent. Um, I should go find out who that is. Uh, but anyway, the, I think it's definitely worth picking up. I would love to review it with you guys on here. If you ever have a chance to pick it up, Saf. Um, I, I know you picked it up, right? Right, Megan? Yeah, I've got the whole thing. It would be yeah. cool if we did a whole episode about it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I could grab it for that. Yeah, it's definitely worth picking up. I, I and I and I know, you know, it's not, not it, is everything worth picking up in Star Wars canon? It's debatable. I'm not going to say everything is is, is worth it, <laughs> but I would say Darth Maul, the graphic novel, um, is definitely worth picking up. Um, there was it does. I don't it believe does, it's out in trade yet, but all four issues are out. Right? The, the trade is out actually. Okay, oh, sweet. Cool. I'll grab yeah, that then. Yeah, yeah. So the um, one of the cool things it does do, and I, and it's not this is a mild spoiler, mild spoiler, people. But um, one of the things it does touch on is why you know that line in the Phantom Menace when he says, "At last, we'll have our revenge." It kind of touches on that a little bit of why Darth Maul feels that way. Like, and you kind of already know, but there's there's specific links in Rebels that link into Darth Maul's past. Yeah, that, reading that one issue that came out like a day after the episode. 
the episode of Rebels was very emotional. Yeah. So, I mean, like it was, so if you think about it or if you look, when you read it, like it, it gives a little more context of why Darth Maul says that in the Phantom Menace and why he is who he is. It's, it's not like anything huge, but it's, it's interesting in the first issue, you kind of see, you know, what Darth Maul or what Darth Sidious did to Darth Maul to create this weapon and this this mass destruction and why he wants to destroy the Jedi and why he's obsessed with with it. So it's it's simple, it's it's obvious, but it's kind of cool to see it kind of in what Darth Sidious uh, and that's not even a lot of what they don't even show a lot of what they, what he did. He shows him a you see a small see a small tidbit of what he did. It's very very cool. So. Worth picking up. Um, you get to see Cad Bane, Aura Sings in it. Some uh, new other characters. I forget their names, but really cool stuff. Super fun. Nothing too deep. You don't, you don't have to know a lot that's going on, I think. But, and it, what's cool is this actually is the earliest, as the timeline goes, this is the, the earliest thing we get that precedes the Phantom Menace. So Wait, canonic. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's like. That's it's, really cool. So in the canon shelf, it goes right before Phantom Menace. Yeah, it's a pretty good time for the prequels in terms of comics right now, I think, because we are getting, we have both the Jedi and the Sith now. Totally. Yep. Um, So uh, we also have on our list the Star Wars Adventures comic, which I'm not uh, very well versed in. I haven't read them. I think, Paul, you're our resident expert. Did you want to say anything in particular about those? Well, I I will say that they are not heavy-handed by any means necessary, and I think that's a good thing. Um, They are targeted toward a young age group, right? Yeah, they're they're targeted at, like, probably 6 to 12-year-olds, I'd say. You know, it's probably maybe even less than younger than 12. Um, But they're very fun. They're very cute. Wait. Um, Six to twelve, you say. My nephew could read that. No, 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 no. It's it's perfect. If you, even even younger, I think, because if what you, it, be, in my opinion, like my mom and dad. Well, no, no. The reason why my mom and dad, I loved comics as a kid. I just loved looking at the pictures, right? I couldn't read mm. worth beans. But my parents, my mom specifically, would read the comic to me, and like it was like a storybook, but it was a comic book. And um, I think it's perfect for that. I mean, the kids, you know, if he's not very careful, he's going to ruin it because if he's like, you know, you know, super, super young. But <laughs> my, my point being, if it's like a four or five year old, you could probably sit him down and show him like, hey, this he's is fine. like. He's seven. He can read. Oh, yeah, I know. Totally. Yeah, it'd be perfect for I that. I love how like devious you sound about this plan, Seth. Like I'm like <laughs> slowly getting him into Star Wars. Very slowly. <laughs> but it's but yeah, they're, they're all the cool thing about it is that it's it's built for the attention span of young kids. So it's the story are only like six pages long and so like so it's a, perfect for me then <laughs> and for me too no i mean like, you know the, it kind of goes are these, good um like are these marvel comics or are they no they're not disney or something they're, they're through idw and they're a different publishing company and it's actually specifically aimed at they went with a different company instead of marvel because idw has a line of of comics i think they do my little pony and things like that. Oh, they, right. they also do like uh, they do like violent stuff too. They do like the term or the Transformer comic books. Well, no, the, the, yeah, I was going to say Transformers. Their their Transformers line is very um, positively reviewed. Yeah, yeah, and GI Joe and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which by the way is actually a really good comic series. I actually devoured it the first like 15, 20 issues, and it was really good. Um, anyway, but yeah, IDW is kind of they kind of all over the spectrum, and but they have they definitely have a better 
all ages reader market than I think Marvel does at this point. Marvel's been trying to tap back into a younger demographic, but it's, you know, with their, with their current licenses and, and people like me, like it's hard for them to get younger readers even more now, which is funny with the comic books because people like me are the ones who buy the, the main, the mainstream comic books, not younger readers. And even when these comic books or these, these movies coming out they're it's, are having a harder time to bring out these you know, younger reader books with, even, you know, with, even with star Wars. So I think that, you know, they have, they have younger reader stuff, but they just haven't for some reason, it hasn't really connected yet. It'll happen eventually, I think, but right now IDW has a better grasp on that market. So they're kind of the ones, you know, and also you don't want to confuse it with the more adult star Wars comic books. I say adult very loosely, but you know, the more, um, a little more violent stuff, like, like Darth, the, like the Darth Maul comic book series, you wouldn't want a, you know, maybe some kids or parents wouldn't want their kids to pick up a Darth Maul comic. Cause it's kind of violent if they're six or seven years old, you know, no, you said these are six or seven page stories. Are they connected to each other? Are they yeah. from all eras? Yeah, they're all over the place. So like the first, like at the first two issues, um, has, has part one and part two of Ray saving Uncar plot. And then you have like a couple other rando stories. Evans in the second issue. I thought you guys would like to know that. Um, oh, so cool! It's, it's oh a, yeah, I remember seeing that. That's Berlin. why I've kind of been eyeing them up because I'm like, yes, I want to read about her. But she's it's only a few pages long, but they're really fun. So That's I think fine. yeah, and the yeah. art looks good from what I've seen. Very yeah, very stylized like cartoon. Covers, yeah, but, very very yeah. cartoony. I, I see it's all they'll consider cartoonist, I guess. But it's very they're very more like lighthearted. Um, but they're all they're all canon, and and they're all and they're, again, there's actually even um, there's a new droid, a new BB droid called Boo that <gasps> shows up. Oh my and, god, what? Yeah, he's really cute, <laughs> and he looks he looks really like he he kind of looks demented a little bit. He's got a weird like body and frame, but he's a BB droid, and his name's B zero zero. They call him Boo. He's super cute. That's adorable. Oh my god. I, I love him already. I love him. I, Saf, <laughs> I, will, I will tweet you that picture right now. And it's actually thank you. Uh, funny enough, it's actually um, the pe- the from the in wild space. It's the grandson of the ki- of one of the kids of Milo. I think um, of one of the kids from uh, in, uh, Wild Space, uh, young adult. Oh, series. that's cool. Yeah, it's the grandson of one of, or the, yeah, something like that. And they have the old droid still and a, and a monkey lizard as a pet still. And he kind of, and he's kind of narrating the sto- random stories. Pretty cool stuff. So that's cute. That's yeah, they're, really cool. they're very cute. They're very lighthearted. I, I mean, I buy them because they're Star Wars. So, but they're cute. Like I, <laughs> I have no problems with them. So, yeah. So let's talk about something that's less cute and lighthearted. Um, are we ready to move on to Phasma? I don't <laughs> yes. know. Are let's we? Talk about Phasma. Are I'm we? Ready. Are I think we, we are. All right. <laughs> Sav is definitely ready. Yeah, I'm definitely right. ready. Okay. So um, we are going to do spoilers uh, for basically the whole novel. So if you um, – don't mind them go ahead but if you're interested in reading it and finding out what possible connections it has to the rest of the sequel trilogy probably bail now and come back later yeah so phasma is um framed in two different ways it's the interrogation story of a resistance member called v who i think it's actually vi i keep 
It Thank might be v. Vi. I have a friend who has the same name, and I always call her V, but everyone else calls her Vi, so I think it might be Vi. I'm probably going to keep saying V because nothing has stopped me yet. But yeah. it's, yeah. So she's a member of the resistance. She's captured by a First Order officer called Cardinal, who has a rivalry with Phasma and wants to know what Phasma's history is. So the book is the tale of Phasma's history, but we've already got this one layer removed because he's essentially torturing her to get this information. It's then removed one layer further because Vi heard it from uh, another character um, who was actually there on the planet where Phasma is from. So Siv is the other layer. We don't actually get a lot from Phasma's point of view, but the book does talk about her upbringing on Parnassus, which is this sort of radiation-scorched wasteland, and how uh, Brendelhawks crash-landed on the planet, and they journeyed from her home village to eventually Phasma joining the First Order. And meanwhile... Vi and Cardinal have their own story. Um, so what did you guys think about this format? Did you prefer one of these plot lines more than the other? And did it bug you at all that it switched back and forth between them? I loved it. I Yeah, I loved it too. I didn't actually expect to like this book as much as I did. I kind of went into it being like, I don't really care about Phasma, so whatever. Um, and then I got really into both stories. Like, I didn't expect either of them to grab me, but both of them grabbed me. And so when I was on Parnassus, I was like, okay, but what's happening with V and Cardinal? And then when I was with V and Cardinal, I was like, okay, but what happened on Parnassus? Which was good. I think it kind of kept the tension between both quite well. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot. I, I think that the the narrative that they created and, and, the, and the structure they created was was a little, not I won't say it was jarring, it was surprising, it was also very welcoming eventually after the first couple of chapters. I'm like, okay, I get it. And it was, it was really cool. I liked the fact that she wasn't the, the, you know, it wasn't like Phasma, we weren't Phasma's head. In fact, I think that was even more interesting and more in, in like mysterious to the fact that it's all from outsider, outsider's point of view of Phasma. So almost yeah. like, so almost like you could almost get your own assessment of Phasma, like, why she does certain things. And this is, a, we're not doing spoilers right now, right? We're just talking in general. No, spoilers are fine. Oh, I'm we sorry. can spoil. I, I, I must have missed yep. that. Sorry. So like things like, why did she, you know, help kill, uh, Brendel Hux and why she portrayed her parents or, you know, there's obvious reasons, but I, I think that you can cling to, but I also think that like, there's different, you know, you can do a sympathy route. You could do that. She's just, you know, a, a straight up killer sociopath route. There's, so many different angles I think you can, in my opinion, that you can take with this that Phasma's a leader and she's going to lead the way she leads and she's going to change her mind. Or, or, you know, there's so many different things you could do with it. I think that one of the things that, um, oh my gosh, it's uh, Delia Dawson, right? Yes. Okay, Delia Dawson, I think she did it in a way that you just, you got to, you, you just kind of, you came to your own conclusions and that is maybe, maybe that wasn't intentional, but that's the way I kind of thought of it as. And I thought it was really cool that people, you know, were like, you know, I want, you know, I want Phasma to be, you know, asexual or, you know, or, you know, cause I didn't get that impression at all. Like I, you know, I think it was great. I think it's meant to, and to me, 
I like the fact that it's bro- it's more broad that you can kind of make your own conclusions up with it because I thought there was almost a thing between her and uh, General Hux, you know, Junior. To be quite honest, I know. Oh, that that Hux, that yeah. Hux. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, not Brendel, not Brendel, J- Junior. I said Junior. Wait, I said oh, Junior. Hux junior. Hux junior. Yes, yes, I, yes. I disagree um, with you completely. No, no, no. And that's great. And that's the whole. <laughs> that's the whole thing. Is like, I don't. I love the fact that it doesn't slam me in the face with one thing or another. It just kind of. <laughs> It it kind of lends itself into certain things, and you can kind of take your own, you know, make your own conclusions. You can say someone's crazy, but I don't think anything. Obviously, everything was meant to be not so obvious. And I know she wrote the character as asexual in mind, but that's something that wasn't, you know, confirmed, you know, or whatever. But I, I again, I think I'm not sure if that was a story group aspect or was that Delilah, Delilah's um, idea in the end or, that, you know, whatever. But either way, that I like is that. entirely unconfirmed. Um, I did. I was kind of keeping track of that on Twitter. So that's just she essentially was her headcanon. She had it in mind. There was no confirmation about her sexuality in any way in the book. Yeah. And so but, either- but in terms of her perspective in general, um, like, I keep bringing up Darth Maul Shadowhunter because the reason I had that in mind was that it did a similar thing where it spent a lot of time in other characters' point of views. And I think we see that a lot. We saw that in Thrawn as well. So it's not like there are no other Star Wars books that do this. And whereas I would have preferred a more direct approach, I think I did want to know exactly what was going on inside her head. This just wasn't that book. And I feel like judging it as it's something it's not was unfair and I, I hope that came across in my review anyway that I know it, it might not be exactly what I prefer but it is what it is and the, I like that so Delilah Dawson mentioned at Celebration that she noticed that Phasma's helmet is reflective so if she kills you you see yourself die and I thought like that's so cool like that's so intense <laughs> but also this whole book is about reflections it's about what does one person think of another what does how does one person bounce off another what does Vi see herself in Cardinal and vice versa does Cardinal see himself in Phasma and I don't think vice versa I don't think that's a question really but um <laughs> it's, I, really like, <laughs> I really liked how she brought in that idea of reflections and I don't know if that was intentional um Hopefully, I won't be able to ask her at New York Comic Con coming up, but um, I like that that was there anyway. Yeah, I think for me, I wouldn't have liked this book as much if it had been from Phasma's point of view or had more of her mind thinking stuff in it. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Agreed. Because I... (laughs) 
stuff. It would have been it would have been strange to actually know what's going on in her head. I think part of the reason I like Phasma, I mean, I like her. I don't love her, but I do like her. I think the reason I like her is because she is kind of this mysterious, sort of evil-looking figure who's just really good at stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I want to hear what's going on in her head because that might ruin ideas I have about her or, like, change her character for me or whatever. I really like the idea of her being this like mysterious figure that everyone's talking about and there are stories about, but nobody really knows. Interesting. Cause this did change her characterization to me. Really? Because yeah, because even the blurb and again, like I'm not necessarily saying that I think they shouldn't have done this because it's their decision. It's their character. If it doesn't match what I thought that's on me, but it was a surprise because even in the blurb for the book, it calls her, um, let me see. I was looking at this not long ago. One point it calls her zealous, right? She guards her secret as zealously and ruthlessly as she serves her masters. And that, I felt, was the one thing that we knew about her from The Force Awakens. She didn't have a lot of character, but we knew that she was zealous about the First Order. She believed in it. What this book tells us and what the comic, the Phasma comic series is also telling us is that she kind of doesn't believe in it. She believes in the highest bidder. She believes in doing the thing that's going to keep her personally safe, but she does not, she doesn't join the first order out of any kind of ideal or loyalty. And that was a surprise to me. That definitely changed like what I thought was key about her. And even the fact that she wears her Chrome armor, right? The visual dictionary, it it never said like she idolizes the emperor directly. I don't believe so, but it said her armor is made out of this, uh, chrome from the emperor's ship and so I took that and went oh that means she must like respect the empire and like fly this as the flag of the empire and that's not true at all it's just a really durable metal <laughs> so I think did- yeah that's that may be kind of similar to how I felt about the Ahsoka book that it didn't really do what I was expecting it to do um, I think she does have some respect for the first order for it's like not necessarily it's full ideals but I think she like because there's that part where they're in the city or in that town, and Hux is like, if if the First Order was here, this wouldn't be happening. Like, everyone would be healthy and protected. And I think that may have resonated with her somewhat, that she wanted to have that order so that things like that didn't happen. But she does also just want protection and strength herself. So it's kind of a balance between those two things. Well, I, and I, she does say, she says she wants a better life for her people, but she ends up destroying her people because they yeah. will not follow her in the very strict see, way. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see it that way. I think, I think Phasma, at, I think in my, again, this is what the brilliant of the, of the novel, the brilliance of the novel that does is you, it's not clear. And I kind of took it as like, she want like, like she said, I want what's best for my people. And then she kind of turned away because I think she's, I think through her time with her, you know, with, with letting the, the Skyer people um, clan come in and wipe out her family, her parents essentially. And through them and through the first order in my, and it, it, maybe this is obvious and we're just, you know, splitting hairs here, but it's survival of the fittest. <laughs> You know, that's what that's what she believes in. She wants the strong to survive. And with the exception of her, of course, because she's obviously been weakened in certain places, like in the arena fight 
And, you know, even in the, in the comic book, when she's humiliated by coming out of the trash compactor and she, you know, the one person that knows who's going to, you know, could tell on her, she hunts that person down. So it doesn't like get back to anyone. But in her mind, it's survival of the fittest. It's like you're too, you're not this was at, at one point the Skyer folk. I, I always want to think the Shire folk, but it's not. It's the Skyre folk. So, <laughs> no, um, completely yeah, different. Yeah, totally two different things. But um, for you, you can see why I would have trouble with that. But no, like the thing is, that was the Skyre people. You know, the the, the clan that was the the strongest of the people. And then Phasma spent the whole time fighting with the Doug because she, you know, again, there 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 are two clans fighting. They were there wasn't an offset at that point. I don't think where she was, you know, which is an amazing part where she had the baby and her attached to her. That and there, those people were looking for it. And yeah, oh god, that was so cool. That I was, was like, cool. oh yeah. god, like, where is it? And it's actually attached to her, and she's just whooping a. Oh, it's so cool. But um, but that's the thing. I think that through this book, she just wants to be a part of like the strongest and you know more the strongest thing that she so she can survive. Not just because it's a trend thing, but because of her own survival. So yeah, and you can see where she got that because her planet was so ruthless. Exactly, that she knew it was it was you live or you die. It's and not I much love more that. complicated. And than I that. love that about her. The fact that she is actually that's what makes I think Phasma kind of a brilliant character now is that she's so simple that it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's <laughs> you know that that to me. Simplicity, less is more. And the fact that there's not a lot of backstory to her in an extent to where, you know, she she read a, she had a, a rough life in this Mad Max basic, you know, area of a planet. And the fact that she is just, you know, her her will is to, I need to survive, but I need to, I need to be a part of the strongest thing because I, you know, I can do, I can hold my own, but I want to be a part of something that's going to be, you know, support me and help me. And it helped me be as the best that I can be from a point of view of strength and power. And that's what was important to her. So I think that to me was conveyed so well that that's, that really is all she is, is she's just, no, you might've convinced me with the simplicity comment. I'm (laughs) I'm nodding along here going, yeah, like that's cool. I can live with that. (laughs) But, But because, because not everyone has to be so complex. Like, I think writers, and, and again, I'm not, and I'm not a you know a writer myself yet or anything like that. But you know, you know, I have ideas and things like that. And but I also think that when when people when they write their their new characters and they're trying to develop a story, one of the biggest problems is people overcomplicate things and make things too like oh this person had this complicated things. Like sometimes it's not complicated. It's a very simple thing. Sometimes people are just be frank, I'm gonna, they're fucking messed up and they're just, they're nuts. And that's kind of what I think Phasma is. She's just kind of nuts and she's going to, you know, do her thing and, and she's just going to keep going where she needs to go. Cause I, I think, I mean, here, and maybe this is unintentional, but I could totally see her um, pulling a, uh, this is gonna be a rant. This is really random. I'm throwing this out of my ass here. Uh, <laughs> Batman returns. You guys remember Batman returns? Ever seen that movie at the very end? Penguin has like the circus of army people. Right. Oh, and I saw it so long ago. Right. So he's like, I do vaguely remember that. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's an army of circus people. And at the very end at his weakest moment, when he's like, just blood's gushing from his mouth and he's Batman's whooped the crap out of him, and he's looking for help. All and all the people, the the circus people are all up top, and they kind of all start leaving. 
And I kind of feel that that's what Phasma is going to do at the end of this trilogy. Like, I almost hope she doesn't die. I kind of hope she kind of just like just like just like how this book has set up. She'll just kind of like them. The Batman Returns. She's kind of like she'll fade in the shadows and just disappear where you don't know. Definitely see them setting that up in both the comics and the book where I don't necessarily think she's it's not going to be like Darth Vader where she like has a heel face turn and becomes a good guy for some noble reason. But I can see her like stabbing Kylo Ren in the back because she has the opportunity to get Ooh, away. It would be so good if she stabs Armitage in the back. Yeah, that would be good. And then I, I kind of want to kiss him. Kylo, so that would be good. <laughs> I'm just going to mm, do that. Just I, can dig that. I just, I just, just want to like, wait, say, what? I want to ship armor. I want to ship Hux and, and Phasma now, like just the bug. I mean, that's fine. Everybody. You're allowed to. Good. I, I kind of shipped them too, but I also wanted to stab him in the back. Maybe like after they kiss, <laughs> then she stabs him in the back. She's yeah, like, like what Padme should have done at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, like she like picks him up like in, the, <laughs> in her arms and she's like, come here, you. And then she's like, you know, that'd be, that'd be, I'd be into that. I could do that. I'd so do that, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about what we've learned about Phasma's family, that she had a brother, um, that she was kind of, basically she was loyal to him until... She wasn't. Um, did you like what they established about that? Yes. Mm. <laughs> kind of. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about I didn't like Keldo as a character that much. So when she was like, nah, never mind. I'm just going to leave him. I was all like, okay, that's fair. He doesn't seem like a cool guy. And I think like Siv kind of tried to build him up as a, as a good character, like a good person. But it didn't. For me, like, he just keeps him kind of boring compared to everybody else because he was like, let's make friends. And everyone else is like, we're literally yeah. going to die. Yeah. Um, and you so could... I was kind of like, Fesma's got the right idea here, I think. I do think it was a good way to kind of set the stage because he was obviously, like, he was a kinder person than her. He was sort of trying to create a little democracy. But at the same time, the world was set up such that you could tell it, it wasn't going to work and that Fesma was really probably right about what was going to happen is that Keldo couldn't really like his plan wouldn't really enable them to survive. Yeah. One thing I did like is like kind of the last story that, um, V tells to Cardinal is about how, uh, Phasma like stabs her brother's leg and throws him down to the Nautilus to help, um, help the Skyer take over their place basically and work with them. Yeah. And the thing I liked about that is that she didn't just do that. Like he told her that he wanted things to change and she asked him if he was sure. And he said, yeah, I want things to be different. And so she was like, I'm sorry. And she did that. And from that point on, everything she did was to protect herself and the clan and everything that was like, be safe basically and be strong. And he was the one originally that said that he wanted that. So like in some ways she just she was just doing what she thought was right because her brother had told her that and she thought that it was the best thing to do. And so later on when he goes against her, it was probably like going against that original thing that he said to her as well. And I like the fact that that was like the last story, it kind of for me, I was like, Oh, ooh, okay. That kind of changes how I was interpreting it a little bit. But also doesn't like Phasma's still a terrible person somewhat, but she was terrible in a different way. That's a good point that well, go ahead, Paul. No, I'm sorry. I, I I just wanted to say really fast that I think it's interesting that she cared enough. She cares about people, obviously, because she again she her brother was crippled because of her. She crippled. She basically crippled them, you know. But it was almost it was for his safety, and so like it was you know in her own again 
in her, in my opinion, in her own way, it's like, I'm going to, I love you, but I love you enough to do this to you. So you're going to survive because I know you won't survive. Right. Mm. Like that's, that's kind of the way I see it because then he's a leader. And then again, like when she kind of like has had enough or when she kind of, you know, starts when, when the, when Huck senior shows up and he's like, Blah, 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 blah. And she's like, what's this guy up to? Where's, you know, this guy's different. <laughs> and she starts, you know, going along those plans. She's like, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to join your, your crew. And, and then I think obviously her brother gets wind of this and blah, 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 whatever. But my point is this is like, it's, it's like, she's well, it's like, she's not, she's not cold blooded enough to where, you know, she's going to just like do like, cause she, here's the thing. If she wanted to kill her brother, she could have done it anytime, but she didn't. He was the leader. And so, to me, it's like she's I don't know, like there's a weird sense of some sense of loyalty and love with her, but it's obviously messed up. Again, it's simple, mm. but it's complex. So I love that. And she yeah, gets, it's, keeps being put in these situations where the alternatives are all terrible. So she just takes the least terrible one. Exactly. Yeah. It's like at the end um, when they finally reach a ship and the Skyer catches up to them and they have to kill everyone. And Siv kind of has this moment of like, well, they shouldn't have done that. They should have stuck with their area and looked after it and then they'd be fine. Like Keldo was the one who made the choice to go after them and probably die. And so Phasma kind of just had no choice there because he he did do that. Like, Excellent point. He could have stayed, and she said that she wanted to come back for him. And at the end, he came after her. He had to die, and she had nobody to come back to at that point. Mm. Excellent point. Interesting. I actually, it's I just, actually yeah, I yeah. think it's it's a harsh world with harsh choices. And I mean, Phasma's not a good person. It's pretty obvious. But yeah. she wasn't. She's not as cold hearted as she could have been as well. Nailed, <laughs> you nailed it. You that nailed actually, it. That actually kind of makes me feel better about it because I like <laughs> I want to like her as a villain. Obviously, she does terrible things. I don't I'm not saying I endorse what she does, but like cool <laughs> villains, you know, Star Wars is all about like Darth Vader and cool villains. So I want to be able to like her. And I, I kind of liked her a bit less after this book because she seems sort of weaselly and out to help only herself. But talking to you guys makes me feel a little bit better about like. Maybe she's just looking at – she's got all these bad choices and she picks the least bad one. Yeah. No, I think that's, yeah, that's I think, well said. Really well said, Sam. Yeah. Thank you. No, I kind of have the opposite of you because I kind of like her more after this book because I got more of a nuanced opinion of her rather than her just being like a cool badass with cool armor. Now I'm like, oh, she has a lot of different parts of her that kind of make up this person who's super strong and super powerful but also had like this past that she wants to hide. Well, and think about the, the planet they live on. Like, this is their whole her whole life is you know when she's being brought up is like nothingness and you know fighting for survival again. Very someone uh, on the internet said mad fa- uh, mad faz like, instead mad of mad. Faz, yeah. Oh god, I, I, I text, <laughs> I text, I text, Dawson, like. Yeah. Is that what she said? The Fairy Road soundtrack okay. while can, reading it, like she you very can much oh, tell yo, intentionally, one hundred percent can tell. Yeah, um, absolutely, no. There was some. I mean, there. Like, I, like, like Wait, I said. Do you what? think Phasma's original accent is Australian? Then, because that would be good. Oh man, I hope so. <laughs> now I hope so. I think it just sounds like Gwendolyn Christie. No, what she normally sounds. Like. Oh. I, no. like, isn't that what she sounds like in don't ruin this for me i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm going to ruin it for you she no. changes her accent so you know 
Well, I guess uh, okay, okay, I can, I can get behind she's, that. She's part of that new Australian space program. Oh, yeah, got you. Uh, no, I, I just think with, with the planet they set up, it's obvious that like you. I, I just, I think, I think again, there's that sympathy fa- factor you have to put into it because if you're brought up to do only one thing, which is a fight to survive, then how do you turn that off? That's all you know. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. people who grow up, you know, not everyone, but like people who grow up around certain situations, it's very common for them to fall right back into those same traps that they grew up in that are negative because that's the only, only thing they know. And not, that's not uh, obviously the, this, uh, the, the requirement, but it's just it's a very common thing that happens. And I could I think it's very practical and very understanding to see why it should be so cold and so, you know, brutal you know, it doesn't justify her actions, but you make at least understand her of why she would do such, all these things. You know, and it's like, you know, think about this too. Um, again, the whole mask concept of of the Skyer folk and and the you know that stuck with her. And I love the fact yeah. that 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 too. Mm. That kind of you know she kept that going. That like you know her true self is hidden. You know, she's not. She can't show her true self because she does. That's not, it's almost like. She shows if she shows her true, her true self to everyone, it, be, it it's a weakness. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think and it's I, impractical on that right. planet. And I think when she showed Cardinal, it was almost and again this again this is my own my own theory or my own um, assumption from reading the book. It's almost like she's telling Cardinal like, "Look at me, I've overcome this. You can see my face, and I don't care. Like that's how <laughs> much you mean to me. Like I know I have you." Here's my true face. You can't do shit about it. Like, that's what I kind of feel she did that. Like, because, you know, they, they she hides her face all the time. And, and people on the sky see her face. But, like, I feel like now it's, like, almost like a point of, like, you know, I only show people that I that I know that are weaker below me that see my face because I know I can destroy them. Does that kind of make sense? I That's kind of the, yeah. the impression that I got from it. That's how I interpreted that scene, too. And that scene made me happy because I basically picture her as Gwendolyn Christie with scars, like, even before the book. I was like, oh, that would make her interesting. Um, And that's pretty much – she's not really described in detail. You don't really know what her face looks like. But she is scarred from the fight in the arena. So I was like, yes, that's kind of what my headcanon was. Yeah, same here. It was – yeah, same. Gwendolyn Christie with scars is basically what I imagined as well. (laughs) Yeah. one thing I did like about her confrontation with Cardinal was uh, when, like, she points out that his simulations don't actually teach people how to survive. And so, like, when she's taking his kids and training them up to actually kill and learn how to fight, like, she's also teaching them how to protect themselves and not die. Like, in her own way, she's looking after them, which I thought was, like, kind of cute. I mean, it's cute in an evil way, but it's kind of cute because Cardinal also is that thing of like, he's trying to protect his kids and look after them and he's scared that when he sends them off to her, they're going to be like twisted and killed. Well, not killed, but, you know, destroyed kind of inside. Whereas she thinks that his methods are too soft and that he's not looking after them well enough. So it was kind of cool seeing that within the First Order. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about about Parnassos itself? I, I really liked that you kind of learned gradually as you went along what happened to the planet. And there was that, like, great moment at the end where they get to an area where there's basically just fields, like lush fields that have gone wild. And 
they were there the whole time, but the people couldn't get to them because they were across the desert. It's just like, oh man, this planet is terrible. Um, I, I did. Do you guys have anything else to add? Yeah, I loved the the Gand part. Um, oh yeah, that was really cool. Oh okay, so now I, I for people who you know or maybe listen to to us for the first time, I I don't read books. I listen to them on Audible or um, through or excuse me through the. Um, uh, you know, whatever the means that I'm given. And um, the, I got to say, not every Star Wars book is always a great production in a sense to where, you know, like the voices don't reach. It's just one person and there's, there's some sound effects, but whatever this book in, or this story or whatever audiobook I should say in particular, um, it is one of the better, I think, produced of all the Star Wars new recent canon novels. Um, there's lots of music. There's lots of sound effects. Lots of um, just this it helped me really get into the story. And they did a voice modulation with the the, the character. And it's January. Um, oh my gosh, what her name? I should go look at it right now. Um, but the lady doing the Phasma novel, which she's done um, Bloodline as well. Um, January, January Lavoie, she did, uh, she's a great, great storyteller. She does a great job on all these, but they did a great modulation with her voice, um, for the Gand. And that whole scene with like some background stuff was super cool. I was like, wow. It, I just, I fell in love with that part. It was one of my favorite parts of the book of just this random Gand sitting in the middle of like a <laughs> desert, just like, you know, talking to them. So in this really crazy voice, super, super cool. And if people who are wondering who the, what, what the hell a Gand is now, I want to say I, what there's, there's two aliens that sound very familiar. It's a Gand and um, another one um, the Gand, I believe is the uh, Zuckus character of yes. Empire. Uh, yeah. yeah. Empire Strikes Back, but there's also yep. a, another alien that sounds similar. That's um, uh, let's say uh, the the Reyes, the Three Eyes guys, Malastare, or maybe they're different now. Back in the day, they were named something, and I forgot what they were called. But they were like similar, almost similar to Gand. It was like like a yeah, the uh, Reyes was the yeah. name of the senator, and yeah. right now the species is blanking. Yeah, let me I'll, I'll, let me I'm gonna actually look that up because I'm actually curious. But anyway, but the point being. Great part. I loved it. I love this random Gand sitting there and stuck there and like being those little uh, uh, fly things like golden bug things on him and just hanging out. Super cool. The world itself, yeah, was really cool. I really liked Parnassus. Like so many, so many books in Star Wars have just kind of boring planets, like the same mm-hmm. we've seen before or just other stuff. And so I was like, yeah, this is <laughs> this is really cool because it's really different, but it's familiar in a lot of ways. And yeah, it has that like post-apocalyptic thing without actually being like. I mean, it is kind of post-apocalyptic for that planet, but we know in the grand scheme of the galaxy, it's not actually a post-apocalypse, which was kind of a cool little isolation thing. And having yeah, having a place where like they used to have technology, but they don't anymore. And the slow discovery of what happened to the planet was just really, really cool. It obviously changed a lot. And that's something that we don't really see in Star Wars. Planets seem very static, whereas we learn what happened to Parnassus. Yeah, uh, I think that was it. Yeah, the planets often seem static, but this one, things happened. And it's a very different planet depending on where you go. It was just very cool. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, it seemed like... You know, I almost think of like the the was I, 
was a skyer when they when it started out was it like a watery like rocks like kind of you know area like yeah ocean? yeah it's like yeah like the sea columns of the, rocks the yeah. ocean had um receded i think yeah so i i think of like rainy like uh like uh sea with lots of rock and then all of a sudden it turns into like mad max air it's super cool like i loved all that stuff and by the way the reuse aliens a grand not a gant so that's the thing like, oh, all right grand yeah it's a grand so so yeah. gand is is zuckus but a grand is it's they're very similar so you can forgive me yeah. when i first heard it in the book i'm like Ariyes is there just chilling out? That's crazy. And then I went, wait a minute. And I looked it up and went, holy crap, it's a Zuckus. That's crazy. And so, yeah, anyway, sorry. Minor, minor little setback. Um, so I think the last thing we're going to talk about is Hux's bad opinions, which <laughs> Saf wanted to talk about. Um, I, like, I have no opinion on Hux. It bothers me that we didn't know where he was going in this book. Like, why was he on? Where was he supposed to go if he wasn't on Parnassos? I wanted to know. But otherwise, think, no real feelings. Sap his feelings, so. I do. I think he was just trying to see if Parnassus was, like, another planet that they could steal kids from or something. You know, they oh. stole one kid from it, so he kind of succeeded there. <laughs> I brought one. She's really angry. <laughs> um one of the things with uh with um brendel that's the name brendel hugs was just his like i really hate his opinions on robots and i mean i have a lot of opinions on robots or droids in star wars because people treat them awfully you like droids you know i love droids what a surprise i know i know (laughs) anyway way to ruin my way to ruin it for me staff god I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but when they go to that first station, which is just filled with droids that haven't, they've just been there for ages, just kind of slowly disintegrating personality wise. And Siv is like, so they're like people now. And Hux is like, droids were never meant to be people. They're only meant to serve purpose of their masters. And oh, I was just yeah. like, how dare you? But that also kind of gives such a good example of how the first order thinks because of the way they just look at droids in particular like i know humans in the universe do that in general but just how strongly he was like they're not human so we're not going to treat them like human they deserve to die because he just kills them all basically he turns them all off and is like they can't turn themselves back on so they're dead now and he doesn't care but like that's kind of how the first order views everybody in the galaxy that doesn't obey them or doesn't work to what they want they're just like they're not equal they're not they're other so they can just die and it's fine and seeing like Siv who didn't even like she's never met a robot before obviously and she doesn't know anything about droids she considered them human and she was just like these droids should be okay that we should just let them live it's fine and I think the the clash between her and Brendel there kind of shows a little bit more like what Phasma was stuck between as well like Siv and her idea of like these are human and they're they can just do what they want like why do we have to kill them and Brendel being like kill everyone that doesn't work with us um and i yeah i had a lot of feelings about that entire little part of the story because those poor robots just wanted to do what they were doing and they were just abandoned and left to be where they were and Brendel was just the worst about it and i was just like Brendel. I hate you more than I ever hated you in my entire life now. <laughs> no, no, for the record, those droids were like the, you know, they were like, they, they tried to like hurt them and make them enslave them essentially. 
they were a little creepy, but they they couldn't really do much. Like they were sort of restricted by their own routine. Praise to the creators. And they said that they're not allowed to hurt humans. Like they were like, we can't, we can't hurt people. Like, yes. In our yeah. They were they trying to hurt them. Do they were so just much. doing what they thought was like. They healed him, and they couldn't get paid back like they were supposed to. So they're like, I guess he'll just work for us for 60 days. Like, in the grand scheme of things, on this planet, not the worst thing that could have happened. Yeah, <laughs> no. I didn't think they didn't have to kill funny. them. They could have just brought them back online after they left. But they, Brenda was like, no. Yeah, they essentially just made them wash dishes. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't really do anything back. It was fine. Okay, but by the way, this brings me back to a DuckTales cartoon I saw where Scrooge McDuck was broke and he thought he had money. And then when they – it was my first instance of if you don't – what happens if you don't pay at a restaurant? That when Scrooge McDuck didn't have the money, he made him and his entire family wash dishes. And I went, oh, that's what happens yep. if, you don't, if you don't have money? They make you wash dishes? <laughs> Yep, and I'm being serious. I still think cartoon I, standard. I know. I'm like, oh man, that's that's. But is it really? Is it is that uh, a standard in cartoons to do that? Well, I've yeah, I've seen it in other cartoons recently. It was it was a gag in Voltron because there was an episode where like that happens. The the one guy has to wash dishes because he didn't have money to pay for the restaurant, but he's a really good cook, so he ends up like taking over the restaurant. Oh my god. So, <laughs> It's oh a really boy. funny episode. Oh, no. it sounds lovely. Oh, man. This is Voltron? Yeah, the new Voltron. Are you sure it's not? The like new Voltron it's... is really good. All right, all right. Back <laughs> to Phasma. Back anyway, to Phasma. Also, one, one last thing with Phasma. Are yes. we going to talk at all about Admiral Sloan? Oh, oh, yes. Eesh. So there's that <laughs> one line um, where... One of the troopers? I don't remember which one. There's says, a couple lines that Cardinal? Yeah. Um, I think, hang on, I do have it I do have it highlighted, so let me just grab it. Oh no, I turn it to landscape mode instead. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> Everyone different thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Cardinal says, um, he says, if I may say so, if Admiral Sloan were here, and then Armitage is like, well, she's not. So, yeah. Well, that's Cardinal me immediately made me think that Sloan is alive. Like, she's not here right now, but she's alive. Yeah, I think Armitage or someone else mentions, like, Grand Admiral Sloan. Somebody mentions that in passing, or, like, yes. thinks it. So <laughs> she's 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 around or something, and she has some big part in the First Order, which I didn't entirely expect. I know. I, I wish she wasn't part of the First Order. I'm glad she's alive, but I still want her to team up with Leia. Me too. <laughs> so yeah. badly. So we'll see. I'm hoping that her story isn't written yet. It's not finished yet. So she could have defected. She might not be there because she defected. Yeah, that's possible. Who knows? It's so weird seeing like when a new Dawn came out, like we were like, oh man, Sloan's so cool. And now she's like this amazing admiral <laughs> of the First Order or something. <laughs> I didn't even like her in A New Dawn that much because she's introduced as just like yeah. ruthlessly Same. like yeah. driving over like driving over other ships in traffic and like yeah. I didn't <laughs> really care about her and then in aftermath you start seeing like okay here's why she likes the Empire here's why and, and in um orientation the other John Jackson Miller story where like she meets Vader and she's like really proud because she did something right in front of Vader like you kind of get to know her better. Um, and of course, by Empire's End, I'm just like, you disagree with a lot of things that the, um, the 
guy who's not Sloan or, or not Snoke. What, I don't remember. His oh, name. Rex, well, something yeah, like Rex. Thank you. Yeah. General Rex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she disagrees with a lot of his ideas, so she should join the New Republic and fight him. And, you know, we'll see. Yeah, it's it. I'm hoping she's just trying to turn the First Order into the Empire in the background or something. Like, I don't know. It, it was it was kind of, I didn't expect to see her name in this at all. So I had this moment of like, oh my god, yes. And then, oh my god, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was interesting. And I'm glad at the end of the book that Cardinal is going to join. We're not necessarily going to join the New Republic, but he's at least not part of the First Order anymore because I actually really started liking him. All right, I have two things to add to this. First one, mm-hmm. I'm going to call it right now. Armitage, whatever, how you say his name, Hux, Hux Jr., he kills Sloan. Mark my words. Ooh, I would not be surprised. Him so much. It's going to be him. <laughs> Him, he'll be the one. He'll be the one because he. His thing about it, his dad and her are the ones in in, in the way of him leading the first order. So he's mm, gonna, it's he. True. It's gonna be him. I'm gonna say it right now. Then, as far as Cardinal goes, what if now I? This is a, this is shot in the dark here. What if Cardinal shows up in a random background scene in the Last Jedi or Episode Nine and like a, a big battle of some kind? You're like. Hey, what the hell? There's a red phasma over here, and then like, <laughs> and, then, but, and, and we're all wondering what that is, and, and everyone like us who have read the book been like, oh my god, it's fuck, fucking cardinal, you know? I'm like, super stoked. And I like, would be so psyched if that happened. I was thinking yeah. that as I was reading it, I was like, I really hope he lives so we can see his armor in the movie. Right before I recorded this, I was on um, Tashi Station's book club, and they were saying the same thing. Or even you could retcon a character in The Force Awakens and say, like, oh, that's Cardinal. Like, I was kind okay. of expecting that. Like, I was expecting him to say his real name, and I'd be like, oh, it's that character. But then they said his real name, and I was like, oh, okay. I don't know who that is. I, <laughs> no. I, I will only accept if he's in full red armor, at least, that you, you can't. So no, no, because it sticks out to you. One of the things I love about Star Wars is that like for instance you have that um like the prune face character I keep forgetting what his alien race is but he's on the crew of Return of the Jedi but you never see him but he like you know walks up the ramp like little stuff like that like that's so cool like the background characters that like stick out like why why is there this random like draw like two one B is in like the briefing of Return of the Jedi what the hell is two one B doing there. Like, we don't know. Two one B is important. <laughs> it's a medical droid. But my point is this: like, <laughs> my point is, it's a random. Like, you starts thinking, like, why is two one B there? Is this, a, is this a different kind of two one B droid? And it's like, you know, you kind of put things together, and you're like, you know, Jabba's palace, all these different characters, like, you oh, know. Man, we got to talk about from a certain point of view at some point. Oh, oh I yeah. Cannot wait to read but, this book. Oh, I for what I'm it's worth, to dig into that. Like, I didn't love Cardinal, but a red phasma toy would definitely sell. So I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying this. It'd be cool to have him just even like in the background. It can be like a guy in a red, you know, storm first order with a cape without even without a helmet. Just in the background that you see and you notice. It's like it's kind of like the the us uh, partisans when they have like a scout a bl- all black scout mask. Um, trooper mask that the guy is wearing. It's super mm. cool. Like he's in it for like two seconds and you're like, Oh, that's cool. You know, there's probably a, a, maybe there might be a neat little, you know, maybe a 15 page, you know, certain point of view, like story about that. It's maybe you could write one day, but something cool like that. I would love to see that happen. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I think that's all for Phasma. Um, 
we will be back in an, in a month. Um, and we'll probably talk about from a certain point of view at some point. So you can find our back catalog at Den of Geek. The um, podcast is available on SoundCloud and iTunes and um, on the Den of Geek site as well. So, um, Paul, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, uh, a.k.a. P-Thug. Um, follow us here, um, Blaster Cannon Pod, um, at, at Blaster Cannon Pod. Um, on Twitter as well. And uh, recently I was on a Batman on film Star Wars podcast talking about a little more in depth about JJ Abrams. I had a blast with those guys. Super fun and crew. Uh, check it out. Um, it's most obviously Batman on film is mostly about Batman, but Rick on there does uh, random Star Wars episodes and they're a lot of fun. So I'd probably be doing those, a couple of those in the future. Check that out. Um, yeah. Cool. How about you, Steph? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at not no, that's the wrong thing. At Wanderlustin, W A N D E R L U S T I N. You can also find me at my website, notsefwork.com, and I'm also around on ToshiStation.net and sometimes makingstarwars.net. Cool. And I can be found on Twitter at blog full of words. I write for Denim Geek, Star Wars Insider, and a couple other spots. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Goodbye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.